It's just an honor and a privilege to praise God and worship alongside of you. Amen. I hope you'll join with me and, and just enter right in. Amen. Nothing brings me more joy than giving God glory. Amen. This never gets old to me. Amen. I hope it never gets old to you. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this song together. I bless your name. I bless your name. I bless your name. I give you honor. I give you Sing it now. And I bless you. 
opens our eyes tonight, eyes of our heart that we could see his word. Amen. Chase away all doubt and fear. Amen. In each and every one's life. Amen. We're going to change the order of our service at this time. Amen. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our broadcast. Good to have you all together this evening and um, appreciate the opportunity to visit in your home tonight and to be able to study the word for a few minutes and to be able to pray together and just worship together in this way. Um, we're thankful for each and every one of you and those that are logging in and uh, in touch here. So if you don't mind, get your phone out. Sure, would love to hear from you. And uh, I have my phone posted here. Someone asked me um, how that uh, you're supposed to uh, send an amen. It's not somebody from our church, but somebody else who was listening on a Wednesday night. And uh, we had to tell them that you just type in the word amen and uh, hit send. And that's how you do it. So we are glad to have all of you here tonight. And uh, it's certainly um, a blessing to be able to come together in this way. And again, we appreciate Brother Jeremy. And he's over at the church tonight, I think by himself or with a small crowd. And uh, he's uh, handling the broadcast there. Uh, the brothers are working away on the church, and we appreciate that very much. There will probably be a little uh, time in there where we can use some help, and we'll certainly circulate the word and let you know uh, when we can use some helpers in there. Uh, There's some jobs that need to be done by individuals or contractors, but uh, there will be some things that we could probably use some help with, and we'll certainly let you know. Uh, we also have Brother Chris Clayville who's coming in, and uh, we'll need a little bit of help there. I think Brother Jeremy's been um, circulating the word there, so uh, he's got a time and a place to do that. So we're excited to have uh, Brother Chris and his family coming as well, and uh, appreciate uh, them making the journey all the way across country to be with us. Now, let me give you a couple of uh, prayer requests here. Uh, Brother Smith had put in a prayer request on Sunday about uh, his wife, and, and certainly uh, was great to see Brother Smith, but uh, we want you to know certainly that we pray for you both, and uh, it was uh, certainly on our hearts, uh, Brother Smith, to remember Sister Mary over this week, and we have been doing that. We want to continue to remember his first cousin who has a problem with cancer uh, of the throat and lungs, and uh, he's taken treatments for that. His name is Tommy Boston. And so we want to remember him in prayer uh, as well. We want to remember little Evelyn Sylvester. And uh, that's uh, Brother Mark's sister Jackie's granddaughter who's in uh, Phoenix. My heart goes out to uh, little granddaughters. And uh, she's still in the hospital there. She's making good progress. But we still need to hold her up in prayer and just trust that the Lord will give her complete victory over that problem with her oxygen and breathing, and then allow them to be able to go home. Uh, that's uh, always a difficult thing when you have to camp out in the hospital, so we want to remember them in prayer. There's also a sister, a very faithful sister, her name is Mary Flint, who uh, listens online to us regularly, and uh, she uh, often, uh, when she's listening, she often will respond, and uh, she's one of my ameners, and uh Always good to hear from Sister Mary. She was a person we met in Alaska many, many years ago. And she has some health issues as well with sugar 
and uh, she asked us to remember her in prayer as well. Um, we want to continue to remember Sister Kristen Godwin, and uh, also as well, Brother Ben McCafferty is going to be going out. The uh, Sister um, Kay Barber, who was a very close friend to Brother Ben, uh, she was like a mother to him, a second mother, and um, she passed away. And uh, Brother Ben's going to be going out for a couple of days out there to Tucson. So we sure want to remember uh, Brother Ben and uh, the loss that uh, he's experienced there. And uh, even though we know that a, a believer has gone to a place that we recognize and we believe is real and, and certainly a better place than this place, uh, it still leaves a bit of a hole when we think about um you know, a loved one slipping away from us, especially because of this terrible virus that uh, has struck the world. So let's join our hearts together in prayer tonight, and uh, then we'll uh, jump right into the Word and uh, study for a little while. So I want you to just bow your heads, if you don't mind, and let's just uh, look to Him and hold your knee right there. Just in a, for a moment, just be real still and just look to him and just ask that his presence would come into your place tonight and be close to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have, and we know it's not always the best, but we are connected, Lord, in the spirit, and the spirit is stronger than the internet. The spirit is certainly stronger than any distance that can separate us. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask your blessing upon this gathering tonight. May, Lord, you reach out and touch each one that's listening by this broadcast, and we ask that you would meet every need, touch every heart, bring healing to those who need it. We think of these requests that have been listed, Lord, and we think of Sister Becky tonight as well, and uphold her in prayer, and Brother Stephen. We just ask, Lord, that you would just minister to each and every one that around the world are fighting with this, wrestling with this virus, and and its effects, Lord, in their bodies, and we just commit them to you. We curse that thing in the name of Jesus and believe, Lord, that you're still a healer tonight, the same as you ever were. Father, we commit our every need to you because we believe you're, a, you're one, Lord, who cares about everything we go through. And Lord, we know we can always turn to you and you always have an answer. And we believe that. Bless our, our study tonight, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's lovely name. Amen. Amen. And the people of God said, we'll let you type it in and hit send. Let me just show you uh, two pictures here. And this is uh, Brother George Smith has been faithful to send along some pictures of uh, saints in South America who are receiving books there. And this is in Honduras in two different churches there. I don't know exactly where they are, but uh, he said they were in kind of mountain churches. And uh, I just was uh, glad for these folks here receiving uh, materials and they just are excited to have those books in their hand. And uh, we just trust that the Lord will bless each person that reads the word of the Lord. And uh, very excited for these folks here. We want to continue to remember Brother Anwar as well. And just trust that the Lord will uh, minister to him and, and uh, keep that umbrella of protection uh, over him as well while he's in Pakistan. So let's uh, let's just uh, jump right in tonight. Now, every now and then uh, we get a, a question that's asked to us. And uh, sometimes, you know, these questions are 
uh, quickly answered. And then there's other questions that stop me in my tracks. And I, I, I just genuinely do spend lots and lots of time thinking about these questions and how I should answer. It's not only people in our church who ask questions, but it is people around the world and uh, people who are just looking maybe for another opinion or another perspective on a on a thought that they have or a problem that they're facing or a situation they're going through maybe in their church. And so this is very common for me, and I, I'm just always thankful and honored uh, to be able to answer questions. I may be slow, but I do try to answer every question that I get. And uh, tonight what we're going to do is do something a little different. We're just going to answer a question that I received a number of months ago, and we're just going to deal with that question because I think it would be timely for us to do that. So in uh, in our study, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, and uh, let's begin at verse 14. We'd like to read a couple of uh, common verses here. Paul writes in Hebrews 4, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I just think that's really wonderful. That's a wonderfully comforting promise that we have a high priest and he's sitting on the throne. In other words, he's in control. He has all power, all authority is given unto him. And we're able to have an appointment with him any time at all. So you can bring your need right now as we're speaking tonight. You can write down your request. You can hold it on your heart. And you can bring that need to him any time at all. And just come to him in sincerity. Come to him believing that he cares about what you're going through. Now, let's just let's just uh, read out the question here first of all. And then we'll uh, just jump right in here and dealing with the response. This is going to be a little bit different, all right? It's not going to be as a normal type sermon. But we're going to turn the answer to this question into a lesson here tonight. Here's the question. What is the human character that gives some individuals the moral strength not to sacrifice their decency and dignity, regardless of the cost to themselves, whereas others become ruthless to ensure their own survival. No rush on this, and that's an understatement, because this question was asked to me months and months ago. I've kept it on my desktop all that time, and I was just thinking and pondering about this. Let's look at the question again. What is it in the human character, in in, an individual's character, that gives some individuals the moral strength not to sacrifice their decency and dignity. In other words, they maintain that throughout life, regardless of the costs of themselves, whereas others become ruthless to ensure their own survival. No rush on this. Now, this is a really uh, open-ended question because, you know, we could say, all right, we'd apply this to believers but there are many people who are uh, unbelievers, you know, they may not be members of the bride and they, uh, they may not have the same kind of Christian experience that you have, uh, but they are people of high moral uh, strength or moral quality and they are decent and they have dignity and they hold themselves on a certain level or hold themselves to a certain standard, the standards that they know regardless of what the cost is to themselves. Whereas other people, uh, they fall like a rock and uh, they can be tempted, they can be swayed, uh, they can be pushed and pulled by this world. 
And uh, sometimes people can go through life a long time, and then all of a sudden there's a change in their life. And uh, this this question is, what what is it about the human character that gives some people these qualities and other people don't have these qualities? And what is it that does that? <clears throat> so we are um, we, we're just going to step back and take a look at this here uh, this evening. And I'd like to I'd like to answer the question uh, in the short version tonight and say that I believe that the human character, uh, the quality about the human character that gives some people that moral strength is integrity. Now let's define integrity and then we'll expand on it a little bit here. Integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. Again, integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles and moral uprightness. I think all of us would probably want to have that. And some of you are probably thinking of people that you know that have a certain amount of integrity. Certainly this is something that's desirable in all leaders. Uh, and we want to see uh, integrity in leaders and honesty and so forth. Uh, th that would be a very important quality that you would see in somebody who's uh, maybe being elected to lead the country or, you know, to lead uh, something a little more local to you. You want to have uh, a mayor, for instance, of your town that, uh, you know, has uh, has honesty and has strong moral principles. That would be very good. You would want to have a teacher, uh, for instance, for your children or a principal in your school, or you'd want to have a pastor uh, who would have some strong moral convictions and have moral uprightness. I mean, may God have mercy on us all. Uh, we would all want to have uh, faculties like that. Let's continue on and just develop this definition just a little bit. It means that you live in accordance to your deepest values. You're honest with everyone. You always keep your word. It is a highly valued trait, especially in leaders. So there's a match between your values and your conduct. That's what that means. So we say when somebody has integrity, real, real true integrity, the positive kind, uh, that their, their conduct would match the values that they hold dear. Spiritual integrity is a state of being undivided together with the quality of brutal self-honesty. Now, hold on to that uh, thought there, undivided together. It demands a considerable depth of caring and of uncompromising willingness to be honest and faithful. Let's read that again. Spiritual integrity is a state of being undivided together with the quality of brutal self-honesty. So this is what I believe, and I want to be very honest in attempting to live that way and not to be double-minded, not to be hypocritical. So if I'm hypocritical, I would be divided. I could l say one thing and live another way. Uh, Brother Branham defined iniquity as knowing what's right, but, but living contrary to that. And so integrity would be the opposite of that kind of hypocrisy. It demands a considerable depth of caring and an uncompromising willingness, willingness to be honest and faithful. And Paul said, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that he said it, it's important for a steward or somebody who is a minister of the gospel uh, to be faithful. He doesn't always have to have a big church. He doesn't always have to be wealthy, but he needs to be faithful because he's handling God's word and he's dealing with God's people and the hearts of God's people. So therefore he needs to have spiritual integrity. He needs to be honest with himself, honest with the people. He needs to be honest with God. 
and and that's a very transparent way to live. It's not a very easy way to live, let me assure you, but it demands this depth of caring and an uncompromising willingness to be honest and faithful. So does a depth of caring for other people. There's a there's a giving continually of yourself, uh, and and people will know that. People will sense that uh, when when you care for them. Hey, I had a like I've told you before. I had a dog, and uh, you know that dog always knew when I was uh, caring for it and trying to help it. I mean, my dog was uh, uh, you know just very humorous in the way that she re- responded to that, but she always knew when I was caring for her and trying to do the right thing. Uh, by her. And so you can't have partial integrity. You either have it or you don't. Uh, You can't be sort of, uh, uh, you know, sort of full of integrity. Uh, That that wouldn't be, that wouldn't make sense. By the definition, it is someone who lives in accordance with their deepest values. And in other words, there's a, there's a match there. So let's, uh, let's, let's carry on. And I found this statement here. I thought it was pretty good. Wisdom is knowing the right path to take. Integrity is taking it. It is a good thing to know the right thing, but it is a better thing to be a doer of the word. Because a lot of us, you know, we've spent our lives hearing the right thing. We've been hearing good things. We've had the right path identified in life. And there's a lot of right we know. There's a lot of correct things that we've been taught. There's a lot of incorrect things that have been corrected. And those are all good. And you're never going to take the right path unless you know, unless the right path is identified. And so wisdom learns the right things in order to know which is the right path and which is the right thing to do. But integrity is that match of what you know and what you do. And they blend together. So this is what integrity really is. Let's go a little further. Integrity comes from the Latin word integer, which means whole. Now, we have a a number of engineers and great scientists who are in our house. Our house is honored. Uh, Our church is honored with lots of great scientific minds. And so they will know, the, the scientists among us, that an integer is a whole number, something that is complete. So the number one is an integer. One and a half would not be an integer because it's a partial number and uh, partial of the whole. So integrity means it it comes from the the Latin word uh, integer, and integrity is therefore meaning that what you say is full. It's not meaning two things or half uh, of something and, and, you know, a statement about something else. It is full, whole, and complete. That's the definition. So it's an important thing. For instance, in the Bible, we find uh, in James chapter 1, he writes, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift from every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be kind of a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So in other words, we were begotten by the incorruptible word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord is pure. There's no variableness in it. There's no um there's no there's nothing hidden in there or shadowy. And that's what James is is asserting for us. Uh when God says something, it's yea and amen. When God says something, it's true. And there's no shadow of turning there. Uh, in other words, it's almost it's almost like this, that when you have a shadow of something, 
you have another object that passes into the light and casts a shadow there over the thing you're trying to look at. So you may not even see the object, but you can see the shadow. And whenever, I will tell you something, that whenever Satan uh, tells you something, there's always a shadow associated with that. So for instance, he may say to you, hey, you want to be a part of the crowd, then you should, oh, I don't know, you should start smoking, for instance, and uh, you'll be a part of the crowd. Everyone will like you if you do what everybody does. And so he gives you a word there, but beneath that word, there's a shadow. Beneath that word is a darkness there. And it's not light anymore, it's darkness. And it's blocking off the promise that God gives you. And you don't have to do that. And so there's a shadow there. And and that shadow means an absence of light. Not completely, but it's an absence of light. Now, James is asserting for us, and he's making sure we understand, with God's word, there is no variableness at all. God doesn't vary with his word. It is complete and whole. It is full. It is true. It is 100% completely there, just like an integer. He begat us with that word so that we would be like him. So the new birth creates a person in you that has no shadows about it at all. And that's what's really great. All right. So that's what uh, James wants us to know. He says, do not do not err, my beloved brethren, because the, the way that we have been birthed into this world, the way that uh, God has created this new man is that we are an offspring of God in whom there is no shadow of turning, in whom there is no variableness. So we don't need to worry about uh, taking God at his word. And the word that we speak and put on our lips is also true. It is also without variation at all. It is complete and it is whole. Now, <clears throat> when we think about integrity, um, integrity is something that is able to stand a test. Okay? Uh, so, for instance, when we find the uh, sermon here, for instance, How Can I Overcome, in 1963, Brother Branham talks about how that we are called as people to uh, overcome the temptations that we face in life and the trials we face in life. And there are many of those that we face. As a matter of fact, I was telling somebody or we were, I think my wife and I were talking to somebody yesterday and we were saying that, you know, even when you're in quarantine, it's not a rest. It's certainly not a vacation. Uh, I don't consider quarantine a vacation. I've been tested now since the virus began seven different times. Uh, and up to yesterday, I've been uh, tested negative every time. And I'm very thankful for that. And I'm very grateful to the Lord for that. Uh, and I will tell you that all of the times associated in quarantine, they're not like a vacation. As a matter of fact, the stress still continues and it, and it just uh, carries on a little bit more. I'll be glad when we don't have to do that anymore. So we all face stresses. We all face temptations. We all face the pressure. And overcoming for us is very often just enduring the things that we have to face in our time. And uh, I will tell you that we should be praying one for another. And you should be praying for your, your pastor. You should be praying for, and those of you that are not in HBT listening tonight, you should be praying for your minister and ministers you know, uh, because they're in a, a, a quite an unusual spot. But we also should be praying for one another, for folks in the church that are, you know, I mean, many times they're just alone. They're they're lonely. And, and that's a tough thing month after month because hours roll into days, days roll into weeks, and weeks are rolling into months. And it's just uh, an amazing year that we have had. 
But here's what Brother Bram says about temptation for Jesus. He said, temptation was for him. You know what? The Bible said he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted by drinking. He was tempted by women. He was tempted by everything that could that could be tempted by. He was tempted by everything that we are. He was a man, and yet you couldn't put a mark on him. You couldn't touch him with sin because he was an overcomer. Now remember, when he was on earth, he was not God like God above us. He was fully man when he was on the earth. And because God was in him, he proved that you could be an overcomer. And that's the beautiful thing, that when he was on earth, he was fully man. God was in him, but he was fully man. And so therefore, he could be tempted in all points like as we are. And he was tempted by everything that could be tempted by. Oh, I think that's really great. He was tempted by everything that could be tempted by. He was tempted by everything that we are. So in the same way that we are tempted, male, female, young, and old, uh, let me tell you, no matter what your station in life is, he was tempted like we are. And yet you couldn't put a mark on him because he held true to the values and the God that was in him, the truth that he knew and believed. And so therefore his conduct and his values matched. And that's what we call, that's what we're defining as integrity. Now, I love this. You know, we, we can find many examples, you know, of, of biblical characters, you know, like, uh, like for instance, Ruth, um, you know, was a woman of great character. And the Bible says in Proverbs 31, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. These are women of God. You know, I look at my wife as a virtuous woman. I look at my mother, my mother-in-law as virtuous women. I know many wonderful sisters in our church uh, that are virtuous women, and they are certainly precious in the earth, not like women of the world and not people of loose conviction, but they are people of integrity, and I really appreciate that. But their virtue comes from God. Their virtue comes from their relationship with God, and that's a very powerful thing. And um, let me tell you, a real mother today, a real wife and a real virtuous woman, uh, if you know one, if you are birthed by one, if you are married to one, or if you're raising one, you need to really pray and just thank God for that and then pray that you can work hard to make sure you channel that young lady into a real gracious woman of God. Okay, but these are uh, these are women of God that we're talking about. Someone like Ruth or even someone like Sarah. Not that, not that we can't make a mistake. Not that we, you know, have flaw, don't have flaws. We certainly do. You think about Sarah, uh, the wife of Abraham, you know, she did a great thing because she was married to Abraham and she believed and trusted that the promise that, uh, God gave to Abraham, but yet she laughed at God when he made the promise that he did. And God said, why did Sarah laugh in her heart? But yet she was a virtuous woman. And we find uh, Mary, for instance, is a virtuous woman, even though she said what she did in the temple that time. You know, your father and I have been looking for you. And we, we are not above mistakes. If you have integrity, you're not above mistakes. But you have values and principles inside of you. And you have promises that you hold on to. And your actions, your actions reflect your belief and faith in those virtues and in those promises. And so we are human, but there's a virtue that somebody who has integrity displays. Now, hold the thought. Now, okay, let's let's look at this. <clears throat> Brother Brandon says, excuse me, 
in the message identification. Now, this is for believers, all right? I'm going to turn a corner in a minute here, but just 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 pay attention here for a moment. He says, we, and this is for believers, we've got to take the entire full gospel. We as believers, we as Christians, we believe every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we're going to take the entire gospel. We're going to take the full word without variableness, without shadow of turning, because that's the way we believe it is. It is true. No shadows at all. And now, being that we have identified ourselves as full gospel people, let's mold our character. I remember one time, my brother and I, when we were first very young in the message, I mean, we're talking still wet from the baptism, uh, we went around our town because we had no church, no pastor and so forth. We went around our town looking for a church that we could attend just so we could have a Bible study, you know, midweek. We would listen to a tape on Sundays, but we uh, we want to just have a little fellowship, you know, and a little uh, a little association with other Christians. So we went to a church and it was called uh, the Full Gospel uh, Full Gospel Church, I think it was, and they were a non-denominational church. And we looked at the sign and said Full and Gospel and Church, and we thought, huh, let's go Wednesday night. So we showed up, and there was a, a small enough group that we sat around in a circle. And uh, they were talking about the Word of God, and it was great. And, and um, you know, they came to a place where they were talking about the times we live in. And my brother, he piped up and said, well, you know, I mean, the Bible talks about how that we live in the time called the end time, the end of time for the Gentiles. We didn't know much, <clears throat> but we knew that. And uh, we offered that in, in the discussion. <clears throat> well, immediately, my goodness, they were not willing to believe that. They were not. Uh, they were not open to that. We quickly found out that they were full of their teaching, full of their beliefs, and we only went once. So we're identified as full gospel people. Let's mold our character. We're invited to be molded in his image that we might reflect his presence. That's the purpose God's building character in you. You're going to leave a legacy, but you're going to mold your character. And in that, in that process, you are to reflect the image of God into this earth. You are becoming like a mirror, polished like a reflector that reflects the image of God. God made us in his image. And we come from a wrong birth to a right birth in order to reflect the, the presence and the image of God to this world. And the works that I do shall you do also, the life that I live, so shall you. We're invited by God to take him as an example and let our character be molded by his, like his. What a thing. What a great thing that is. Uh, he, he chose you. He predestinated you. Uh, you're you're, you're uh, predestinated without money, without price, and God does this by grace. And then he sets about to change you and mold you because he loves you. Not because you're perfect, but because he loves you and he wants you to be like him. And then when we let his character be in us, then we have become sons by having the mind of Christ, the mind, which is his character. Your mind makes your character. Let the mind, Paul said, of Christ, this mind that was in Christ be in you. Let that mind of Christ be in you. It molds the character as the son of God. You think Brother Brown's being repetitive? Yes, he is. Because he wants us to get it right. We let his character be in us as we let Christ, the Holy Spirit, mold us and make our character like his. We have that because we have the mind of Christ. 
And so therefore it molds the character of a son and a daughter of God, and that's what God's intent is. But that's not the question. This question was asked about why do some people have this kind of character, and they hold their integrity in the world, and then other people do not. They'll sink like a rock. They'll become wicked quickly. Now, for a believer, in a sense, this is a done deal, right? Because it's not you now, it's Christ in you, molding you to make you reflect the image of God. The imago Dei is what it says in, in Latin, the Latin language. Your, your whole purpose on earth is to be shaped to reflect the image of God, the imago, the image of God, Dei. And so therefore, uh, you're not in control of that. I've got news for you. You're, you don't have to sit down and go to school to do that. You don't have to get a book and learn a 12-step program. He's doing that in you. He does it every day. And it's shaped through marriage and the difficulties and strife that sometimes occurs in a marriage or in relationships. He does it through your fellow church members. He does it in your family. He does it at your workplace. He does it sometimes through your boss. He does it uh, through coworkers. He does it sometimes through just the physical difficulties that you go through in life. Uh, there are some things that, you know, Brother Ben McCafferty is going out to that memorial for his uh, dear friend, Sister Barbara, out there in Tucson. And uh, let me tell you, her, her story is one of, uh, there's a lot of disappointments and difficulties in life, but she rose above those things and became a, a real woman of character uh, to the place where even, uh, you know, not not even, Ben's not even her her child, but, you know, he holds her in such high esteem, he's willing to travel across the country just to pay respects. And that, to me, that speaks of the character of that woman uh, who had something. And it, I, I will tell you something, uh, there are not many women who would have survived what she went through in life and the disappointments that she had, but uh, she did it. And, uh, you know, that's that speaks of great integrity, great character that she had. Uh, how about the women in Tanzania who we've been hearing about? And, I, uh, you know, I've told you about the, the sister in the Mangati tribe there and, uh, you know, the, the sister from Magunga. And, uh, you know, the, those women who held on and, uh, you know, in the face of difficulties, in the face of uh, barbaric conditions and, uh, you know, danger and everything else. And yet they're believing a Christian faith that no one else in their village believes and, uh, you know, come out of those circumstances stronger, uh, not because of the circumstances, but because they just hung on with that belief in God. And and the simple understanding of the scripture that they have, it just mold, begins to mold something in their life. My goodness, I, I, I look at them as real women of the faith. They're real solid Christians, and they've got something. But I, I, will, I, I would say this, that when I get to meet that sister over there in the Mangati village, uh, she will, she will uh, take the humble approach, I'll guarantee you. And she will not take credit for hanging on for 10 years with no fellowship. She'll say, it was not me, but it was Christ in me that held on. And, and you know, that's, that's just, uh, just an amazing story, an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, they're, they're great people, but they're great people because of Christ in them. They're great people because they are, they're strong and they are, uh, they are made to stand. They've become like overcomers, and that's what's really great. But how about people that don't have the Holy Ghost or don't believe like we believe? How about people who are maybe good people, but they are, I don't know, they, they are people who 
you know, raised up for a certain purpose in life. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Warren Buffett here, and I don't know much about Warren Buffett. One of my boys does. He kind of studies a little bit about him, and he made this statement. He said, in looking for people to hire, look for three qualities, integrity, intelligence, and energy. And if they don't have the first two, if they don't have the first one, the other two will kill you. Intelligence and energy will, will overrun you. But integrity balances those things out because it is a, uh, you know, a high moral standard. So with Warren Buffett, I really, again, I really don't know a whole great deal about him, but I know he lives a very simple life, being one of the top 10 wealthiest people in the world and holds a vast amount of wealth. Uh, just a, you know, an extraordinary person to live, drives a very simple car, lives in a neighborhood like most people, uh, you know, lives a very simple lifestyle. And, uh, he's a person who did not let money rule him. And I think that is, speaks of his integrity. Uh, I got to hand it to a guy like that. And as far as I know, he does a lot of, tries to do a lot of good uh, with the money that he has. You know, he's not a, uh, a yacht in a palace kind of a person. He's, uh, lives a very, uh, as far as I know, very simple lifestyle. I think someone told me he brings his lunch to work all the time, you know, which is you know, pretty interesting um, when he can buy most restaurants in the country. And we think of other people, you know, in uh, in life. And, uh, you know, you think of some characters that have raised up. Uh, this is a photograph of Abraham Lincoln or Mahatma Gandhi or um, uh, in South Africa, Nelson Mandela. You thought I forgot his name, but... Uh, Nelson Mandela, and uh, had several contacts today from out of, out of the blue with people like Nelson, who were from South Africa and uh, friends that I have down there. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi was a really interesting person and a leader in India. Uh, and Mahatma Gandhi, I remember as an unbeliever, as a, you know, before I had any contact with the message, I remember reading his autobiography, and I read his biography, and I was greatly impressed with the character of the man uh, lived an extremely simple lifestyle, even to the point of almost being ridiculous how simple that he lived. He only had two outfits, and he just uh, the outfits looked identical. They were just like a cloak that he wore uh, and lived a very simple life and so forth. Uh, he, he was a person who made the statement that he said, uh, I don't have any problem with Christianity and with Christ. He said, I have problems with the people who follow him. And uh, that was his statement. So he was not a committed Christian, although he had a very Christ-like character in some ways. Uh, and he maintained that all through his life until he was assassinated uh, much later in his life. And he d had a great compassion and a great deal of concern for the Indian people, or yes, the Indian people, and uh, did several marches. Uh, you know, he was they were under the rule of the British. And uh, at one point, he marched right across India, walked across India. Listen, I drove across most of it, and it's pretty far. And for somebody to walk across, it was extraordinary. But he did it to protest the taxes on salt in India and uh, garnered a tremendous reputation for compassion for the Indian people uh, in his lifetime. Nelson Mandela was also somebody who was jailed for 20 years because of his stand against apartheid and injustice in uh, South Africa. And there was a great imbalance in their society uh, based on color and race in South Africa. There still is. Uh, I went by the Soweto Soweto uh, ghetto when I was down there and uh, it was uh, I, I was really shocked and how big it actually was millions of people live in Soweto which I thought was just a little suburb of uh, Johannesburg 
And uh, Nelson Mandela uh, protested the injustices for the uh, black African people, and he was jailed for 20 years, not because he had done anything wrong, but because he voiced opposition to the government because they did not act on making men more equal. Even Brother Branham said uh, that that was unfair and unjust in that country. And I remember the day that Nelson Mandela was was made free. And uh, not, again, not a perfect person at all. And I don't want to imply that these men were perfect, but uh, they were men of integrity. They're men of passion. They had a cause and they, they stood for it, not for their own personal gain, but they stood for uh, their causes because they had some sort of integrity that was beyond the normal. And I remember the night that Nelson Mandela was set free. And I was watching it in a program. I was on the internet, I believe it was, um, back then. And, and when he came out of the prison, they were videoing that and showing photographs of him coming out. And I remember back then, Bill Clinton, I believe, was president of the United States. And he made the statement about Mandela. He said, when I saw Mandela come out of the uh, jail, he said, I was tr trying to look into his eyes. He said, because he wanted to see if Nelson Mandela had bitterness after being in there for 20 years. And he made the statement, Bill Clinton did, he made the statement, he said, Nelson, don't let the bitterness take you over. Don't let the bitterness take you over. Because if it did, he would no, be no more of value to his people. But if he maintained a sense of the cause, then he could continue to be a help to his people. And of course, he did. He came out and became eventually president of South Africa. And... Uh, uh, he did uh, many good things for the nation and certainly elevated the cause of the poorest and most oppressed people uh, in South Africa. It's still not not 100 percent, but he did a lot of good and uh, it was very interesting and uh, held held to that cause over his years. Now, <clears throat> here's a statement that Brother Bannon made. And uh, this is really a true statement here in relation to our question. Brother Random said that every great achievement has, has an absolute. To every person and everything that's been done, there has been an absolute connected with it. There's got to be something for its final tie post. And man cannot by no means achieve anything until there comes somewhere where they recognize that there is an absolute. So we refer to the message in the Bible and so forth as an absolute in itself, and it is. It's one that we hold very dear to the point where we let it guide our lives. But Brother Branham is making a broad statement here, and he's saying that nobody, uh, anyone who has had a cause, they may not believe the Bible or the message like we do, and I'm not trying to uh, imply that. I'm simply saying that, excuse me, these are people who had morals and values, and they recognize that there is a higher truth than what people actually hold in their own mind. There is a, 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 true that, a truth that exists that will correct injustice, that will incorrect unfairness, that will give some sense of justice in this world, that will uh, you know, promote love and, and compassion and caring and empathy for people in this world. And even though they may not believe the message like we do. They are people of integrity, and they act on that. Listen, as much as you may not uh, relate to this, I remember being in the slums of Calcutta in, back in the in 1970s, and there were I, I watched myself. I, I saw these uh, sisters who were connected with Mother Teresa back there because they wore a very distinct habit or an outfit that they, they all wore. All wore the same thing. 
and it's the only outfit that they owned. And I saw them myself going down through the street and picking up people who were laying on the ground who couldn't get up. They were so weak with sickness, and they were some of them were lepers. Uh, some of them had no legs. And, and they would go along and pick them up, and they would bring them back to their uh, meeting house, and they would feed them and care for them. Many times they did it while they died. They, they, they were known for hanging with somebody until they, their life left them, and they were so sick and so beyond care. And they were very compassionate people. They didn't have to do that. Uh, but they, let me tell you, they had a great heart for people who were suffering. And many of those people were in wretched condition. And I saw many of them. And I will tell you, it was very frightening even to see how people existed uh, and lived and lived for years on the street like that. I remember walking over bodies that were laying on the on the street, wrapped up in pieces of burlap. And that was the only possessions they had. And uh, they were, I'm just saying that they were people of great compassion. And some people have it. Some people are, are born with that. They have, uh, you know, uh, just that fortitude that comes from, it might be good parents. It might be some experience that they went through that taught them that life is valuable, that life is precious. They may have had some good teaching early in life. So some people have it. And generally it's linked to some experience that's tied to some higher power or some higher thought than what an ordinary person may encounter. And then other people, they would become bitter or they would turn against the absolute or the higher moral truth that exists in this world. Most people know that love is helpful. Love is a positive thing. Love is a good thing. I remember, you know, reading stories about someone like Joseph Stalin in Russia, who was, you know, just absolutely or just a cruel, killed millions of his own people, did it with great indifference. Uh, when you look at uh, Eichmann and some of the people that did what they did in, uh, in, in the concentration camps and did it with such uh, indifference and the stories they tell of looking at the most efficient way to kill Jewish people in those uh, death camps. And, and, you know, analyzing different ways, well, this is more effective than this, and we should be doing this, not this, and such indifference over human life. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible. It wasn't a lack of education, but it was a lack of a moral order or a moral experience that they had that raised them above just fallen human nature. And Brother Random is assuring us here that this is tied back to some absolute or a knowledge that there is an absolute somewhere. And that's what's important. So I think it's important in our witness to people that we let them know, even if you don't believe the message, you know what? There is more to this life than what an unbeliever might think. And we should respect that. Now, let me give you an example here, okay? And let me talk about Abraham Lincoln just for a moment here. I think of our, uh, Brother Branham said in the life story, I think of our fa uh, the father of our nation, George Washington, and how he trusted God. And I think of Abraham Lincoln. I'm not a politician, but Lincoln was a very favorite, one of my favorite amongst all presidents that we've ever had. And he had to come up hard because, he had to come up the hard way because uh, I had to come up that way uh, is the reason I sympathize with Lincoln. So he related or identified with Lincoln. Didn't have much when they were growing up. And Lincoln splitting rails, writing in the dirt and so forth. The only books that we believe that Lincoln ever had until he was 21 years old was the Bible and Fox's Book of Martyrs. That's what molded that character. So Lincoln was not a person of great education, but he was a person of great moral integrity. 
we don't know ever whether he was bribed. He was not identified with any particular denomination or church, but nonetheless, Lincoln was a man of great integrity. Let me give you an example in his life. I'll give you two. And I've told this story before, and I had it slightly wrong, so let me correct it tonight. Lincoln uh, had on hand a balance of some 16 or $18, which he brought with him to Springfield, Illinois, from being postmaster uh, where he lived. All right, so he went on to Springfield, Illinois, and he became an attorney, and then he was elected, uh, you know, uh, in office, and uh, he brought with him uh, 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 some money that was uh, blown to the post office. And this man, Dr. Henry, was a friend of Lincoln, and he was with Abraham Lincoln one day uh, when he had thought the post office department overlooked this small sum. It was not until months later did an agent call on Abraham Lincoln to collect it. So the post office, the department of the post office, came to Lincoln personally and said there was monies collected while you were postmaster, and it's missing. And uh, they came months later, and during the intervening, intervening time, Lincoln had been financially hard-pressed, and Dr. Henry, who was his friend, was present, and he was afraid that Lincoln might not have the money. And uh, Dr. Henry said, I was about to call him aside and loan him the money when he asked the agent to be seated for a minute while he while he went over to his trunk at his boarding house. So Lincoln told the agent just to sit down. He went over to his boarding house, got, got into his trunk, and he returned with an old blue sock with a quantity of silver and copper coins tied in it. And untying the sock, he poured the contents on the table and proceeded to count the coins which consisted of silver and copper pieces as the country people were then in the habit of using and paying postage. So this was, the, this was the, the, the cash on hand that the people would have used. And on counting it up, there was found the exact amount to a cent of the draft and in the identical coin which had been received. He'd never used any under any circumstances. Amen. That's a man of integrity. And even though he, it was true that he had financial hardship, he never borrowed from it. He never took it and used it at all because he said, I'm not in the habit of spending another man's money. And so this was a, a sample of the kind of integrity that Lincoln had in his lifetime. Let me tell you another story very quickly here. We know that Lincoln, uh, back in his earlier days too, he was a boatman. And a boatman would uh, sail barges with goods down uh, the Ohio River, the Mississippi River, uh, laden with goods, and then they would sell it down there at the port, and very often the people in that area would buy it, or they would load it on the ships, and they would uh, carry that material around to other places in the country, and then they would load up their barge and go back up the river again. It was a very slow, uh, methodical journey, and uh, Lincoln and this other man who were on this barge at one particular point, and Lincoln was quite young, uh, they they travel at a pace of about a fast walk or a slight jog. That's how fast that they travel on the river. So uh, Lincoln, one time, uh, they were tied up at the shore, uh, taking a break from their journey and being tied up in their cumbrous boat. It was filled with hay and different tobacco uh, products and so forth. They were bringing it down to Louisiana. And as they were sailing and they tied up that night near a solitary plantation on the Sugar Coast, they were attacked and boarded by seven stalwart Negroes. But Lincoln and his comrade, after a severe contest in which both of them were hurt, succeeded in beating their assailants and driving them from the boat. 
after which they weighed what anchor they had as speedily as possible and gave themselves to the middle current again. In the middle of the river was the strongest current, so they waded out into the middle current and got away. But there were seven Negroes who came after them, stalwart Negroes, the story goes, and uh, this was not the first attack. This was actually the second attack. Uh, that Lincoln experienced on this particular trip. And both these attacks happened when they were uh, tied up to a dock or someplace on land. So this is very common for uh, groups of bandits like that who would wait for uh, riverboats to tie up to the shore and then they would board them and rob and steal and beat up the owners and take the goods off the boat or take the boat and sail it down and sell it themselves. And so this was something that was not uncommon back in that day. But Lincoln and his associate were hurt in that severe contest. I mean, I'm just reading what exactly what the story says. There, What's interesting is that after that happened, there were various accounts that state that the prominent southern slave trade that Lincoln saw on this trip heavily influenced him. And on this journey, he witnessed the horrors of a slave auction, an experience said to have prompted him to proclaim an oath to combat slavery, which he fulfilled decades later as president. Now, I hope you're listening to me, because what he's saying is that after Lincoln was attacked twice and in serious confrontation here with Negro uh, bandits, he still vowed after he saw an auction to do what he could to strike at slavery and slave auctions and free those people, even though they had done him great hurt. Now, the map over on the left here is a map of 1830 where slave populations in the U.S. were strongest, and uh, it was pretty strong in Louisiana. And when he saw that, he was just absolutely grieved by that. And the same people that had attacked him Lincoln wasn't prejudiced at all. He just knew that there is, there is even though uh, I may have had confrontation with these bandits here, there is a higher moral order. And, and slave auctions and slavery does not in any way, uh, it, it is not considered right because it is a great human injustice. And so in other words, Lincoln with his Bible and the, and the Fox's Book of Martyrs, if nothing else, he learned a high moral order that was able to influence him above how he felt, above the wounds he he received on that trip, and still fight for emancipation when he became president. Now, to me, folks, that's a man of integrity. And no wonder Brother Branham called him his favorite president. I mean, that's just extraordinary uh, that he would do that. Let's go on and move on uh, for a moment here. This is interesting about uh, Marie Curie, who is... Uh, a very interesting person. She made huge contributions to the world of science. As far as I know, she was never a Christian. Uh, she she performed, uh, you know, in terms of uh, being a scientist, uh, she's the only woman uh, to have won uh, a Nobel Peace Prize back in her day. She won two Nobel Peace Prizes in both in her era, 1903 and 1911. But what made it extremely interesting is that she won two Nobel, Peace, or two Nobel Prizes for science in two different disciplines. It was not just the same thing over again. And as a result of that, uh, she has topped the 100 women that changed the world list for years and years and years. Nobody has ever beat her accomplishment uh, in terms of uh, her scientific prowess. Uh, 
1906. Uh, just before that, she was married to uh, a man named Pierre Curie, and uh, Pierre was actually killed uh, just after 1906 when she won the first Nobel Prize. Uh, horse and buggy got away and uh, ran him over, and that's how he died. Uh, in I think it was 1908. No, I'm sorry. She won the first Nobel Prize in 1903. It was 1906 uh, when her husband Pierre was killed. Uh, and after that, in 1911, she still went on, dedicated to her work, and uh, and won a Nobel Prize again. Uh, she was an extremely courageous woman as well. Uh, she invented uh, the X-ray machine and uh, the principle of X-rays, as you see in the in the footnote there. And uh, it was interesting because during World War One. Uh, she was made the head of the group, the medical group that x-rayed soldiers that were injured in battle. And this was a tremendous asset for surgeons back in their, uh, you know, back in their primitive uh, days of primitive medicine back then. And so they could see where the shrapnel actually was in the bodies of soldiers. And uh, they were able to do more successful surgeries and many more people survived. But she literally had a portable x-ray unit and her daughter, who was 17 years old, accompanied her out on, on the behind the, the front lines and, and a actually x-rayed uh, soldiers who were injured. And uh, was uh, she was greatly uh, honored for that. And I mean, I, I'd never even known that until I began to look into the life of uh, Marie Curie. Uh, she she died of a plastic anemia, and uh, that is a disease that's caused by a lack of uh, red blood cells multiplying in her body. We're always making red blood cells. And the reason that she had that condition was because she was always carrying around test, test tubes of iodine and radioactive materials in her pocket. Uh, because she was experimenting all the time. And eventually it just depleted her ability to make red blood cells, and she died of that kind of uh, anemia. And, uh, I mean, she was a person who was wholly, completely dedicated uh, to her calling in life, and a woman who had great passion and great zeal to uh, do things for mankind. And she rose above her peers. I mean, in 1903, it was certainly not a common thing for a woman to well, win a, a Nobel Prize, let alone two in two different disciplines. And to have the uh, respect that she did in a world where men were doctors and scientists and researchers. And, uh, you know, there were institutes that were named after her and, you know, uh, great awards that were given to her in America and in Europe and different places. Uh, you know, you'd have to say she was a woman of great integrity. She lived out her values and lived out uh, the thing she held dear. Let me let me just very, be very brief here in closing. James chapter 5. Be also patient, James says, and establish your heart for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against the other, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Look at them. Behold, we count them happy which endure. For example, you have heard of the patience of Job. And he has seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. It's interesting that of all the prophets in the Old Testament, James says, you take them for an example, but he says, take note of Job and notice the way that he was. We know many interesting things about Job. And it means in the, in the Greek there, and this is James' word uh, or interpretation of the name Job there, 
It means the cry of, of woe. It means I will exclaim. He is known for his piety or his humility. He's known for his consistency, and he's known for his fortitude in the endurance of trials. And so then very name Job, it means consistency, and that's what integrity is. There's no shadow. There's no variation here. Job didn't doubt God from the beginning of his life to the end of his life. Job did not doubt God through his good experiences or his bad experiences. He was known for his humility. He was known for his consistency and his fortitude. Let me tell you, people of integrity are not people who give up when the going gets tough. They're not people who quit halfway because it's not convenient or they have, uh, you know, popular opinion on their side. They endure through trials. They endure even when it's difficult and even near impossible. And that's what the meaning of the word Job is. So when we go back and we look at what James says, behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job, for instance, and have seen the end of the Lord. So Job's experience matched the things that God had placed in his heart. And he stood firm all the way through because he knew that God was in control of life and death. He knew that there'd be a resurrection. And he knew that, uh, you know, God had the power to raise a body from the dead. And he had that revelation. And uh, he held that. And he was consistent with that. And he knew this power was not in himself. It was in God. And he endured through the trials he went through because he believed that was so. And that's a great thing about the, the prophet Job. I mean, the Bible says that there was a man uh, named Job, and Job 1-1, and that man was perfect and upright. Those words are great words. It means that perfect, he was complete, he lacks nothing. He had integrity. Upright means that he was straight, right, level, just, and righteous. So Job had those qualities about him, and uh, he was a person who was blessed by God to have that integrity and uh, to be ethically pure and morally innocent uh, that's what Job was. He didn't have things hidden in his closet. There was no shadow of turning. There was no variation with him. He was just a man of integrity all the way through. And that's why God pointed to him, to Satan, and said, have you noticed my man Job down in the earth here? Oh, may God make us men like Job and women like Job who are uh, lacking nothing but have integrity and wholesomeness, and we have uh, a moral purity and, an, and, a, and a, an innocence and a levelness about us, and to be straightforward and uh, to be honest with people in our dealings and our business and our, uh, you know, in everything that we do. May God help us to be more like Job, even though we don't, we wouldn't probably want to suffer like Job, but we want to be righteous like Job. Here's Brother Ram's prayer, 1957. He says, give people faith and may the little habits and things that's hanging on to the people, may they shake loose from them that this word of God may, which is an anchor of the soul, steadfast and sure, may they shake away from their habits, their little tempers. As Paul said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does easily beset us that we might run with patience the race that is set before us, look into the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, who is tempted in all manner like we are, yet without sin. He was tempted, but he didn't heed or give in to temptation. We are tempted to sin, but never to heed. Why? Because the same God that was in him is in us in part. Because the life that is within us is the anchor of our eternal destination, and we hold that sacred to our heart. Praise God. I think that's really true. 
that we have an anchor in the life to come that's pulling us to that place. And that is at work in our life right now. The life that is within us is the anchor of our eternal destination. And we hold that sacred to our heart. So there's something hooked in eternity and there's something hooked inside of me. And that anchor is dead line is just pulling me right into that dimension where the rock of ages is. And I'm glad for that. Praise God. I'm just excited to be uh, part of that. But remember now, if that's true, and we believe that's true, we want to lay aside every weight. We want to lay aside everything that uh, would would beset us or would hinder us and cause us not to run the race. We want to be like Job. We want to be uh, faithful. We want to have integrity. We want to have innocence. We want to have uh, a moral uprightness about us. And that's where it comes from. It doesn't come from uh, your ability at all. It, it, it comes from the grace of God. Now, sorry, these are uh, extra statements here uh, that I just don't have time to read. But let me leave you with a scripture, all right? And then we'll find a place to close. Philippians 3, Paul writes, And be found, let me be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, and that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended also of Christ. Brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended, but this thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." Let me close by saying this in relation to our question. You know, what is it about the human character that you know some people possess that uh, has, gives them a, uh, a strong moral standard and other people don't have it at all? And in, in a sense, I, I really do believe that anyone who's accomplished anything, like you know, we would use either uh, Abraham Lincoln or uh, Madame Curie or anybody along that line. Uh, you know, you, you think of uh, some of the great uh, people who were acted on behalf of mankind through the ages and uh, the great scientists and like Jonas Salk, who invented the vaccine. And, and these are people who operated not because of fame and glory necessarily. They op operated because of compassion. God will have to judge those people and what happens to them in the end. I don't know. And I found I learned a long time ago that it would be good for me not to spend my energy trying to prejudge what God's going to judge anyway. Because my judgment is really not going to matter. Because you don't know what's going on in the heart of a person and you don't know what their motivation and your, their motive and objective is. So don't waste your time trying to think about, uh, you know, are, are they bride or are they going to be in heaven? We really don't know. That's up to God. We're going to leave it up to God. Paul prayed this way. He prayed that uh, he would make it in, 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 in and through the resurrection. He prayed that uh, knowing that he was not perfect in his you know, physical or uh, natural self, but knew that there was a work going on inside of him. It's not me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. He said, may I follow after that, if that I may apprehend that for which I have been apprehended. And, and, Jesus rescued me. Now, he says, may I fulfill a purpose that Jesus rescued me for. Whatever it is, let me fulfill that. Uh, I, I'm going to live my life as though I never apprehended it. And I'm not there yet. 
But this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind and I press because the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus is greater than a Nobel Prize. It's greater than uh, the accolades of, of man in this world. We are, we are striving for a supernatural eternal prize. And, and that's what we're after. And if we don't get any other acknowledgement in this life, Paul is saying in the end, it really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what really counts is that you are resurrected and that you're, you're, you have a body on the other side. You have eternal life. That, those are the things that really matter. But some people are, are born to do good. They come into this world with a capacity, maybe an experience, maybe the kind of parents or the kind of uh, you know upbringing like Abraham Lincoln had or even Brother Branham had, uh, many others, uh, because it's not necessarily education, it's not necessarily poverty, uh, it's, it's not necessarily uh, you know political office, it's not any of those things, but there's some people who just have the moral integrity and the moral fiber that allows them to excel and to help mankind and to do good things. But I will tell you that those attributes do come from God. Even if they are not elected in terms of the predestinated plan of God, they may be given gifts because gifts and callings are without repentance to help mankind. It's a great question. And it's, you know, I'm thinking here as I'm answering this question, there's all kinds of other things I haven't said and all kinds of things I'd like to add into this whole scenario and this whole picture here. But there's some people that are void of it. They they just have no feeling. They have no compassion. They have no they have no cause in life. They have no humility. They have, in a sense, no need for God. They have no need for morality. They have no care. And they have no desire to help anybody else. They just try to accumulate. They're selfish. They're very egocentric. Uh, they're very concerned about their own welfare. And that's just the way some people are. And again, I'm not their judge. God is. And he will take care of that. He'll sort it all out in the end. And we believe that. I don't want to try to judge anybody. Hey, what I would like to do is to do, just like Paul says right here, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. That's my desire. I want to make it. I want to do all I can to tell others. I want to do everything I can to be a faithful witness. I want to do everything I can to live in a just and honorable way. It's not easy. There are many obstacles. There's many, many things that get in the way. But I will tell you this. I'm always, always encouraged by the scripture that says, with men, things are impossible. But with God, nothing's impossible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for our time that we can get together and study and just look at some fascinating things in the scripture and how the principles of, of integrity, Lord, come and shine out at us and demonstrate, Lord, that these are qualities that we know come from you. And Lord, we thank you for others that have been examples for us, both in and out of the faith, that have done great things for mankind, that have done great things for their people that have done great things in the past. And Lord, we, we can think of so many others, Lord, that were great examples. And men of God, men of, men of integrity in the Bible and women of integrity in, in history and in the Bible, Lord, who did great unselfish things for your people. Lord, we, we just are so humbled 
to believe that we have been called, elected, and chosen, Lord, not just to do great exploits in this world for the world, but, Lord, we have been predestinated to a greater cause and a higher calling like the Apostle Paul. So we press. We desire, Lord, to have strength to press. We desire, Lord, the strength we need to overcome. And I ask that you would help us. I pray, Lord, for our assembly, and I ask that you would minister to them. Minister, Lord, I pray to the people who are sick, that really need your touch, that desperately are reaching out to you, Lord, not only for healing, but for peace and rest. Lord, those that are looking for direction, those, Lord, that are working hard, we pray for our medical workers, Lord, and those doctors, nurses, and those who are involved in the medical care of people in our assembly and those we know, Lord, they face this increasing exposure every day, and Lord, we place them into your hands. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you give them strength, and I pray, and give them wisdom, and Lord, never let them be defeated in their minds because of what they have to face every day. Encourage their hearts, I pray. We love you, and we thank you, and ask your blessing upon each one until we meet again. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people texted, amen. May God bless you. Been great to be with you. Sorry to keep you so long. May the Lord richly bless you. And thank you for the good questions. Good night.